Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, November 10th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the Secretary of State's office responds to a cyber attack during the midterm election. Then researchers in the state explore the best treatment options for alcohol and drug addiction. Plus, the capital city prepares a weary water system for potential winter weather. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Tuesday's midterms, a state-ran website that houses election information, is believed to have been the victim of a cyber attack. The Secretary of State's office released multiple statements reporting it was a DDoS attack. The Secretary's website, which contains poll location information and sample ballots, was periodically inaccessible due to extremely high traffic, which was the point of the hack. Elizabeth Holbert Johnson is Assistant Secretary of State. She explains what happened Tuesday with our Lacey Alexander. We got notifications that we were seeing an abnormally large increase in website traffic. Um, We did not understand the calls or or did not have information on the calls. Um, And obviously knowing, um, you know, we're all about trusted information. You know, we weren't going to put anything out um, unless we had the specific information. So at that point, you know, we just knew that we were having some intermittent website outages. um, But then uh, more started coming out as this, you know, was um, an attempted DDoS attack. Gotcha. And I know you guys' last statement said that you weren't 100% sure where it's come from. Since that statement has come out, is there any more clarity on maybe who was the perpetrator of this? No, ma'am. Now, you know, of course, it's floating around on Twitter that this was a, you know, a Russian group. Um, You know, we don't know. And going back to, you know, we're about trusted information. You know, we basically we don't have that confirmation and we're not going to speculate, you know, as we, um, you know, as we continue throughout the days. You know, we'll see if more evidence can be gained. But at this point, we're not even sure that we will be able to gain access to that information. So at this point, you know, we we just know that it it could be anybody out there. Understood. Um, Tell me about, you know, what were the consequences of this, if any? Were any voting results or voting? Was any voting information um, compromised or were votes slowed down because of this attack? 
um, great question, and that's one of those things is we want to continue to reassure Mississippians that um, election information, your votes are safe. All this um, affected was our external facing um, websites, so our SOS page, our y'all vote. So now this did cause um, um, people to have to contact our elections hotline or contact their um, local circuit clerks to gain access to the polling or to find out where their polling place might be, um, things of that nature. But it had nothing to do with uh, our election system. Gotcha. And that increased amount of calls to your hotline, did that cause any problems for you guys? Absolutely not. Our, our, our elections division it was to be recommended. I mean, they're, they're rock stars and they handled it superbly. Um, you know, and they, they're, they're prepared. They were prepared for, you know, lots of questions. Though, you know, we were hoping turnout was going to be um, greater this year and, and, and or, I'm sorry, greater this election. And, and they did a, a phenomenal job. Is there still an ongoing investigation into this attack? And if so, what other information, what other details should Mississippians expect to hear from you guys in the next few days? So from our office, we're not necessarily doing an investigation. We are concerned about how do we prevent this from happening again? You know, so we're working through, uh, I know, uh, you know, our office has worked with ITS, um, you know, to really try to get us, make sure we're back online, make sure everything's safe. And then moving forward of what can we do in the future? You know, so a lot of that will go back to, you know, do we have the needed resources to continue as, um, you know, as attacks may increase in frequency or intellect? You know, so it's just from this point, it's making sure how do we proceed moving forward to continue to keep Mississippians um, um, election information safe? I should have asked you this at the very beginning, but for those of us who maybe don't know, can you explain what a DDoS attack is and how the website became vulnerable to such an attack? So all that is, is it's a distributed denial of service. And I'm, I will not pretend that I am an IT expert, but basically what that does is that floods, it floods internet traffic to um, prevent others from utilizing it. Um, so that's, that's, that's the gist of it. It just is, it increases website traffic to keep other people from accessing that. So, um, if, you know, if you're looking, if you want a little more specific, I can put you in touch with our IT folks. But, um, you know, from a audience's standpoint, it just is an increase in website traffic, which keeps others from accessing. Thank you for that. Um, you know, we were the reporters at MPB here. We were all split up um, covering different districts. And I was on um, Benny Thompson's district. And as I'm sure you know, his results came in very, very late. Um, is there it, does anything with that attack relate to that? Or is that like part of the reason that results for him came in so late at all? Just curious. No, absolutely not. Like I said, um, the only effects were our external facing websites. It has nothing to do with the elections process or the election system. Gotcha. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you'd like our listeners to know that maybe I forgot to ask you about today? No, absolutely. You know, we appreciate Mississippians. We appreciate, um, you know, our efforts of our office. I mean, between ITS, between our IT department within the Secretary of State's office, you know, we're fortunate enough that we've got some great folks in our state that, you know, do great work and, you know, just keep working hard to keep Mississippians safe. So we appreciate y'all and thank you for helping us spread the word. Thank you so much. Elizabeth Holbert Johnson, Assistant Secretary of State um, with Mississippi. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to chat with me. Absolutely. You have a good one. Again, the secretary's office says election systems remain secure and were not compromised.
Coming up, researchers in Mississippi explore the best treatment options for alcohol and drug addiction. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Do you drive a vehicle? Then you'll find AutoCorrect helpful, especially on Coach Charlie's Tip of the Week. Listen to our podcast with me, Coach Charlie Melton, on any podcasting platform or on the MPB Public Media app. The U.S. and the Holocaust documentary started a conversation about our country's role in a dark passage of human history, inviting us to consider how world events might shape or reveal our national character. Continue the conversation with us on November 15th at our virtual screening of scenes from the U.S. and the Holocaust, followed by a panel discussion with audience Q&A. The event is free, but registration is required. Visit mpbonline.org for details and to register. Connect with the people looking to connect with you. Become an underwriter with Mississippi Public Broadcasting. For more information, go to mpbonline.org slash more slash underwriting. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The University of Mississippi Medical Center is launching a telehealth service for those facing alcohol or drug addiction. Following the onset of the pandemic in 2020, experts say the rate of substance abuse in Mississippi has grown. The $6 million grant will allow for a two-pronged approach, treatment and research. Jeffrey, or rather Jefferson Parker, is a psychologist at the medical center. This um, grant is going to allow us to do some things statewide that we've never been able to do before. Um, One of the common things that happens is I'll get a phone call from a family member who's desperately trying to find treatment for a loved one, and um, they don't know how to find that, you know, a place for them to go. Um, One of the um, things that this grant is going to provide is uh, a statewide real-time resource where where a treatment provider or family member will be able to go online and see what treatment facilities have a bed right now, which ones do, which ones don't. That's one of the elements that we're going to, that's going to be part of this grant. Um, Another one that's really important, we have people who call, they don't have any insurance, they don't have a way to pay for treatment. Um, As part of this, this grant money is going to provide treatment scholarships. We'll be able to send people to residential treatment if they need that. Um, We have money to support medications, for medication-assisted treatment, if they're not able to afford that and it's clinically appropriate for them. And also even money to help with transportation from their home, say, to the treatment center or from their home to the pharmacy to pick up their medicine. Uh, really wraparound services that will be available in the whole, the whole state. And part of the way we define this is that we're, we're going to serve people in each of Maine's congress- uh, Mississippi's congressional districts. The grant not only makes treatment options available through qualified doctors and staff, he tells our Kobe Vance it also helps cover the cost of treatment. We have two uh, addiction medicine physicians, uh, David Verrier, Dr. David Verrier, and Dr. Laura Verrier. They're emergency room physicians here at UMC, um, and they will provide evaluation. And if it's appropriate, there are medications that are approved for treatment of alcohol use disorder and opioid use disorder, and uh, they'll be able to go ahead and prescribe that uh, through the grant. If they can't pay for it, we'll be able to pay for the medicine ahead of time 
uh, with a credit card and they'll be able to go pick it up. If somebody calls in and seeking seeking a treatment, will they have to travel uh, here to Jackson or will they be able to be treated in their part of the state? Um, our plan is to provide these services, the clinical services, by telehealth. Right. So uh, that's generally how it's going to work. Um, as part of the treatment, um, drug testing is a necessary part, important part of substance abuse treatment. Um, so. There may be occasions where they'll need to come to a UMC lab if they're in one of the, in this tri-county area, or we may use some contract labs around the state to do the drug testing part of it. For Parker, the telehealth element to treatment shows how it's being more universally implemented. He says when COVID reduced options for in-person care, it led to expanding telemedicine. The pandemic has taught us a lot about um, telehealth and how to use it and what works well and what doesn't. Um, through our electronic medical record, thankfully, we're able to do telehealth. People just need a, 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 a smartphone. Um, I've treated patients who are in their car in a Walmart parking lot, someplace where there's Wi-Fi available, or a McDonald's parking lot. They don't have to have broadband in their home in order to be able to do this. So there are, there are a lot of places all around the state where um, Wi-Fi is available. What could it mean for patients to be able to break down that wall and make sure that they have access to care? Well, it makes all the difference in the world to, to the patients for their health, for their family members. Um, uh, it can prevent incarceration, health problems, loss of jobs, uh, on and on and on. I mean, the economic costs of untreated substance abuse are just astronomical. And it's been proven again and again that um, treatment is cost-effective and even though treatment is expensive, it saves much more money than it costs. What kind of care goes into this treatment? Basically, we have two, two prongs of treatment. There's medication-assisted treatment um, for alcohol and opioid use disorders. And then there's psychosocial treatment or behavioral treatment, cognitive behavioral treatment, which focuses on relapse prevention, building skills, um, changing lifestyle so that people are less likely to encounter drugs or drug-using people. Um, simple, you know, things that range from uh, not having alcohol in the home to taking a different route home so you don't drive by the favorite liquor store, things like that, a broad range of things. So we have a psychologist um, who we've hired as part of this grant who will provide those types of interventions by telehealth. The primary goal of this project is to help treat patients. Data will also be collected to better understand how addiction can be treated using telemedicine. James Rowlett with the Medical Center's Department of Psychiatry says researchers will examine ways to improve services. My role in this is, uh, is primarily on the research end, and this is, of course, everything that Dr. Parker is discussing in terms of treatment is evidence-based, and that's the the bar that we set for for all of our treatments and as part of this project we are going to collect data from day one and until until the end of it and so one of the things we learned from the previous project is some things work other things don't and this is going to expand that greatly and give us an idea there's some there's unique uh, things about the state. It's mostly rural. The, the, the population density is relatively low and, and like you mentioned access to telemedicine might be limited and what can we do 
to make things better, and, but to do this in a way that we can present this to the research world and the rest and other providers and other academic institutions to, to sort of make plans on making it better and improving the services. And the research y'all are going to be conducting, what are some of the major data points y'all are hoping to collect and how do you think that can further research in this field? Well, we're going to have individual interviews with patients as they're enrolled in the system and these are structured interviews and, and based on on metrics that have been around for a long time and verified and so we'll have that as a comparison and we're, we'll have that but we're also we have um, a health economist on the team uh, two health economists on the team who will be able to look at not only the impact of the treatment on the patients and their families but hopefully the community that's one hope um, we also have implementation scientists and, and others. These are at, at actually at Old Miss and in Mississippi State, uh, who will will um, broaden this out into not just so so we have a good picture of how the whole thing is working in the community. Is there anything about Mississippi that you know was a spark behind this study, or makes Mississippi un a unique place to have this kind of study? Uh, the the spark is really just. Um, wanting to treat our citizens and to provide services that aren't available. Um, Mississippi has the challenges of being a predominantly rural state. With, we have one academic medical center that, and, and then just um, some pockets of, of population in the north and in the south. But in general, it's, it's mostly rural. So one of the things we're going to do is reach out to um, hopefully reach out to farmers and, and through various means and uh, get, the, get some of the treatment services and options available to them as well. But rural states definitely have some challenges. Another factor is, is Mississippi's relatively poor state mm -hmm. and has one of the lowest percentage of the population that, that has health insurance. So that's why we've built into this supports for uninsured patients so that a larger, basically that anyone who needs this um, kind of care can get it within the the resources aren't unlimited, but within the, the limitations of our resources. Of the nearly 15 million U.S. residents who abused alcohol in a 2019 study, only 7.2 percent received any form of treatment within a year. Coming up, the capital city prepares a weary water system for potential winter weather. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. It's made possible in part by contributions from podcast listeners. Please consider making a contribution by going to the Donate Now tab at mpbonline.org. Thanks for your financial support. What can you do with the MPB Radio app? Listen live, hear local news, view the schedule, make a contribution, listen to shows on demand, and interact with social media. Get the app for your smartphone now. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. 
Winter is approaching, and officials in the capital city say the water system remains at risk in the event of severe weather. In February of last year, a week-long freeze wreaked havoc on the system, which resulted in weeks without potable water. And two months ago, flooding of the Pearl River exacerbated long-standing problems at the O.B. Curtis Water Treatment Facility. Jackson Mayor Shokwe Antarlamaba says if similar conditions arise this winter, the water system would likely be disrupted again. The city always does everything that we can within our power uh, to make sure that we recover as soon as possible. Uh, I have said this previously, and it still remains the same today. The systems we have are the systems we have until we replace them, right? Uh, So are we vulnerable to a bad winter storm? I owe you honesty to say yes, right? Uh, And until we can make major repairs, until we can make a major capital improvement into a system that is more dependable, that remains constant. Now, there may be certain components of the water treatment facility that are less vulnerable today than when we started uh, a few months ago. But are there still significant portions of our water treatment facility that could be vulnerable to Arctic temperatures? We, you know, a couple of years ago it was colder in Jackson, Mississippi than it was in Anchorage, Alaska. If that happens and it happens for a prolonged period of time, Uh, then I certainly couldn't stand before you and say with absolute certainty that we would be able to endure that without any interruption within our system. We're prayerful uh, that all of the work that has gone on has better prepared us than where we've been, uh, but we still have to press forward. I still, it is still my responsibility to make sure that everyone who has agency over making sure that this water treatment facility is in a better condition, that they know that we're vulnerable uh, and that there is still a a potential for another emergency. Both city and state are exploring long-term contracts to continue operations and maintenance of the city's water system. Lamumba says a number of things have been identified and prioritized during the winterization process. First and foremost, in terms of the full uh, measure of winterization efforts that need to be done, uh, I think that it would be unlikely that we would be able to do all the winterization that needs to be done before the winter takes place. Uh, That is a very expensive um, and extensive process to do that. Uh, I'll tell you that that it is a common uh, theme within our discussions about what needs to be done in order to secure a sustainable water system, Uh, not only the weatherization of our pipes. uh, One of the areas that that we commonly speak about is the weatherization of the chemical house. And so, uh, you know, working with all of the experts, everyone who's there, um, obviously we'll be engaged with who's dealing with the O&M, and then the discussions that we have uh, ongoing with the Department of Justice and uh, the EPA. Uh, all, of those, all of those entities will be at the table to see how quickly we can advance our weatherization efforts. Uh, there's some weatherization efforts taking place as we speak, uh, but I would be hard-pressed to say that before the winter that all of the components that need to be weatherized will be weatherized. And so that shouldn't be the expectation. Uh, obviously, we're prayerful that, that we're able to sustain and that we don't have uh, a brutal winter uh, and that it does not provide any delay or 
or um, stoppage of, of our distribution. That was Jackson Mayor Shokwe Antar Lamumba. He says the city is committed to its own bidding process for contracted maintenance and operations staff. Lamumba believes the city should have to have should have a greater say in who the contract would be awarded to. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.